Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, alhamdulillah, this is our third surah of uh, this series, right? Who remembers what the first surah was? Surah Al Rahman. How many of you attended Surah Al Rahman? Okay, alhamdulillah. Second surah was which one? Surah Al Jum'ah. How many of you attended Surah Al Jum'ah? Okay, so we have some people who missed out on Surah Al Jum'ah and you're making up for it now, inshallah. Okay. By the way, how's the sound? Is it fine? Because a lot of people always complain about sound. So give me a thumbs up if the sound is fine. Alhamdulillah. Okay, so let's begin, inshallah. So today's surah is Surah Al-Nur. And it's a very special surah, especially for the sisters here. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ had said in the hadith that teach your men Surah Al-Ma'idah, عَلِّمُوا رِجَالَكُمْ Surah Al-Ma'idah, وَعَلِّمُوا نِسَاءَكُمْ سُورَةِ النُّورِ And teach your women Surah Al-Nur. So it's a very special surah for sisters. And I'm sure you're wondering what, what's so special about the surah. Why women, right? Is that a question mark in your mind? So inshallah, by the end of the, the session today, you will get a bigger picture of why the surah is so special, okay? So I, I want to get right into it, and I really apologize for um, the glitch here. So don't, bear with me, inshallah, we'll try to fix it. So background of the surah, okay? So the surah is uh, a Madani surah. There's 64 ayat in this surah. How many, how many ayat? 64 ayat. And obviously there's not going to be enough time to finish all of these ayat. We we're not, we're not going to do an ayah by ayah tafsir. And by the way, I have a disclaimer to make. I am not a sheikh, I am not a scholar, I am not a mufassir. None of this, right? I'm uh, just a humble student of the Qur'an who's trying to share some gems of this beautiful surah. Okay, so very clear. And I'm not a faqih also. So don't ask me fiqh issues and rulings, especially in this ayah, because there's a lot of laws and regulations. So do not, I repeat, do not ask me any fiqh issues. We're just going to cover basic things that are straightforward without get, getting into those details. So it's a Madani surah that was revealed between the 5th and 6th year after Hijrah. Okay, very important for us to know the context of the surah. Between the 5th and 6th year of Hijrah, which means how many years has it been since Islam started, like uh, since the message was given to the Prophet ﷺ? How many years is that? So 13 plus 5, you're talking about 18, 19 years. Okay, so you have to think with that frame of mind. 13 years in Mecca have already passed, and 5 and 6 years of Medina have passed. And during this time, the Muslims have fought several battles against who? Against Quraysh, right? And one thing that the disbelievers realized was that there was something weird going on. I mean, the disbelievers, they were bigger in number. They were better in terms of military power, weren't they? Right? But at the same time, they were losing. They lost in Badr. Uhud was a very, very close call, and then Khandaq, they, they lost again. And so this was mind-boggling for the people of Quraysh. They were wondering, what is it that these Muslims have that we don't have? I mean, we have bigger number and we have better military, but what is the special thing? And they realized that that special thing is the manners and the akhlaq of the Muslims. Their values, their principles, their unity, their their strength of the community itself. And so 
the disbeliever decided to change their strategy now. Their change of strategy was instead of fighting wars that are physical wars, we're going to start fighting psychological wars now against the Muslims. And especially in terms of spreading immorality in the community, spreading hatred, spreading false rumors and accusations, and creating disunity among the people of Quraysh. So that's really the context of the surah. And for a lot of uh, Muslims, this was a big test. I'll just share with you one small example of what, what I mean by this kind of warfare. So all of you know that the Prophet ﷺ got married to a lady named Zainab bin Jahsh. Right? Zainab bin Jahsh. She was the divorcee of Zayd bin Haratha, who was the, he's known as the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ, right? So the, the munafiqs and the hypocrites of Medina, they, they decided to launch a rumor that, by the way, the Prophet ﷺ had something going on with Zainab, Ma'adullah, and he decided to convince his adopted son to divorce his wife so that he could get married to her. Now that's, of course, it's so untrue, but they decided to spread this false rumor. Another interesting thing that happened, which is going to be a major topic of this surah, is the incident of Al-Ifq. It's known as Hadithatul Ifq in the seerah. And ifq basically means a very bad and big and uh, like a big fat lie, basically. A big fat ugly lie. Against who? Against the most beloved wife of the Prophet Aisha The disbelievers and, and specifically the munafiqs, they launched this, this uh, campaign against Aisha that she had, Ma'adullah, committed zina with one of the Sahabis as, they were com- as Aisha got lost. And inshallah, we'll talk about it in detail. But basically what happened was Aisha was left behind as, they were, as the Muslims were coming back from an expedition. From after Banu Mustalik, they were coming back to Medina. Aisha was left behind. And then a Sahabi accompanied her back to Medina. And as this happened, the Munafiqs, and specifically the head of the Munafiqs, Abdullah bin Ubay, decided to spread this false rumor that, you know what, something's going on. Something is fishy. Like they say, you know, in Urdu, dal mein kuch kalai, right? Something's going on. And so, this rumor started spreading like wildfire in Medina, and everyone st- like, got confused, including the Prophet, including the father of Aisha, who was who? Abu Bakr Siddiq, they all like, basically were silent. They didn't know what to do. Some Sahaba even decided, to, uh, even believed this, actually. You know, they fell into the trap. So, that's the context of this overall surah, okay? Now, an overview of the whole surah. So this surah, like I told you, 64 ayat, this is the complete breakdown. If you look at the surah breakdown, in the first section of this surah, there's a lot of laws, many laws, and specifically laws to do, deal with modesty. Okay? And the second section has, uh, the central ayah of the surah is ayat al-nur, which is like the, one of the most beautiful ayat in the surah. This, inshallah, we'll cover in the second section. So you have to stay for the second section because this is really an amazing ayah. And then in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the light of the believers and the darkness of the hypocrites and the disbelievers. All right? And the last section, again, there's a lot of laws that are in place, social laws for the welfare of the modesty of the, of the community itself. So it's like a sandwich. You have laws, a beautiful ayah about iman, and then an- another batch of laws. So in the first section of this surah, what I'm going to do is talk to you about the laws itself. Okay? 
which we're going to do, inshallah, up until Maghrib. Just not all of them, just some of the basic laws of modesty and morality in the surah. And so the overall theme of the surah is social laws to protect the modesty of the, the people, the community itself. And the idea is if you follow these laws, if you, thought, if you follow these morals, then what happens to the community? It's, it gets lit up. And if you stay away from these laws, what happens? You're in darkness. Okay, so that's basically the overall theme of the surah itself. The way it's broken down, inshallah, is going to be these three sections. Section one, from now until Maghrib, inshallah, I'll try my best to cover some of the laws. Section two will be the light upon light ayah, ayatul nur, which we'll do right after Maghrib. And then we might talk a little bit about examples of darkness in this, in this ayah. And I, I'll try my best today to finish earlier than promised. Okay, so inshallah, my aim is to finish uh, much earlier than promised because I know that it's a weekend and many of you have commitments, you have children to take care of, and so we'll try to, inshallah, cater to that, bidnillah. Okay, so let's. Um, also talk a little bit about laws, since laws is a very important topic in this whole surah. Now when it comes to laws, there's a, something you have to think about. You have to differentiate between what you want and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. Okay? It's a very, very um, big shift in the way you think. Because we want things to go our way, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his own way of telling us what to do. Isn't that true? Right. So we have to distinguish between these two things. And, and so because this surah came in, at a, such a late period in Medina, what it basically means is that these laws are just icing on the cake. And I know, I know some of you are getting hungry now, you like the cupcakes and the picture, right? But these laws are just icing on the cake. What did the Prophet ﷺ do for 13 years? He built the iman in the believers, right? He prepared them for what's coming in Medina. And so was it easy for them to accept these laws? Very easy, right? I mean, when the ayah of hijab came down, literally the hadith tells us that the mothers of the believers ripped apart their aprons and they covered their heads and their bodies with it. Straightforward. When the law of alcohol uh, prohibition came out, the final verdict, the Sahaba took out all the alcohol in Medina and they started basically flooding the, the streets of Medina. And you know, the, the people of Sira say that Medina was pretty much, rivers of alcohol was flowing out on the streets of Medina. So very easy for them to implement these laws. Why? Because the foundation was there. And so, also you have to understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts laws for us, there's a reason behind. There's what we call maqasid al-shari'a, which is objectives of sharia. What's the point of these laws after all, right? What's the point of these laws? So we have to understand that there's five maqasid of sharia. How many? Five. Remember these, okay? Number one, these, this, these laws and these uh, rulings are there to protect our deen, our religion. So for example, the, the laws of, of um, you know, praying and fasting and going for hajj and all these things, these ibadat, these worship laws, why are they there? To protect our deen, okay? To protect our deen. Number two, these laws protect our life. So things like, you know, the prohibition of killing innocent people, right? And, and the prohibition of suicide and all these things. They're there to protect our lives. Number three, protecting our mind. The prohibition of alcohol. What does alcohol do to the mind? It covers the mind. So Sharia has put those laws in place to protect our minds from being corrupted. Yeah? 
And then of course there's the laws of, that protect our modesty. The laws that are very much the focus of the surah. Laws such as lowering your gaze, laws of hijab, laws of how to deal with the opposite gender, mixing, visiting people's houses, you know, um, where to eat, where not to eat. All these detailed laws are there uh, to protect the modesty of a society. And also the, the laws of, of marriage, right? The nikah, the laws of marriage. They're there to protect the society. And of course the prohibition of zina and the prohibition of adultery and fornication and all these things are there and, and also prohibition of uh, prostitution. These are all there to protect the modesty of a community. And last but not least is the protection of wealth. So the, the ahkam of zakat and the prohibition of theft, the prohibition of uh, fraud and cheating and riba and all these things are there to protect your wealth. So you see how this deen is so holistic and it thinks and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually wants us to benefit from these laws. They're, they're not just laws that are enforced and not just because we have to do it. No, when you understand the maqasid, when you understand the objective, it makes it easier for us to swallow and implement these laws. Okay? And one thing you have to realize that communities are made up of individuals, right? And then individuals, inshallah, one day get married, right? For those of you who are not married yet, you get married, inshallah. And then you have kids, and that makes up a family, a household. And then that household is spread into the community. So multiple house, households make up what? Make up communities, okay? So what the surah will do is that it's gonna actually talk to all these different sections of society. It's gonna talk about laws that have to do with society, but at the same time, the, the central ayah of the surah, which I told you is ayatul nur, will talk to who? Will talk to individuals. It's gonna talk to you and me. The state of our hearts. Because there's no point in all these laws if the heart is not ready to accept these laws, you see? So that's why it's such a beautiful, the way the surah is laid out, it's so beautiful because the Ayatul Nur is actually in the heart of the surah itself. It's positioned perfectly to fit in with amongst these, all these laws, which some of them might seem a, a, a bit tough and difficult to implement. But once your Iman is strong, then what happens to these laws? Very easy to implement, inshallah, okay? So, um, the Prophet ﷺ, what he did in Medina was he built the Iman so strongly in these believers that they understood what the point was. Today, if you just look at the laws blindly without looking at the background of the seerah and the 13 years of building the Iman, what are you gonna, uh, these are some of the common questions. What's the point of this law? You know, who's the lawgiver? There's no appreciation of who the lawgiver is. And what are the consequences of not following these laws? These are the things that the Prophet ﷺ focused on earlier, so that there's no questions for the believers later on. Okay? They understood clearly what the point of these laws are, they understood clearly who the lawgiver is, and they understood what the consequences of, these, of not following these laws are. Okay? So we're ready to get into the, the uh, surah itself. Okay? Bismillah. So, um, these are some of the laws that are in, in the surah. The law of fornication. Zina, okay? Um, it talks about false accusations, which is a very big deal in Islam. It talks about a case study of Aisha anha, the, the ifk story, the big lie story, and the, the laws of visiting people, the laws of visiting people and houses, lowering the gaze, very big discussion. Also the ayah of hijab, which is you know, referred to as khimar in the surah. 
as well as uh, the uh, ayah that has to deal with marriage. Very important topic for some of you here today, okay? Um, as well as uh, prohibition of prostitution. So these are some of the laws that will, inshallah, be covered. And last, last but not least, the laws of bedroom, bedroom laws, bedroom rules. SubhanAllah, see how holistic this deen is? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us even how to deal with our kids in the bedroom. Inshallah, we'll talk about that, inshallah, in a, in a bit. So, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this surah in a very unique way. He says, Allah starts off this surah like unlike any other surah. No other surah starts this way. But Allah says, This is a surah. Surah Who sent it down? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, We have sent it down. And we have made it obligatory upon you. And we have revealed down with it clear and miraculous signs. So that you may remember. And so Allah is emphasizing what in this ayah right from the beginning? That the laws that are coming down have come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at the same time, فَرَضْنَاهَا Which means they have, made, they, have made, they have been made obligatory upon you. They have been made fard upon you to implement. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to live lives filled with light. He wants us to get out of the life of darkness into the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way of life. Okay? So you have to understand this. And ayatun bayinat, this specific term is repeated in the surah seven times. Is that a coincidence? Because a lot of people will be questioning, you know, what are these laws? Where are they coming from? Allah is saying there are clear signs, clear signs, clear signs, clear signs. No ambiguity in it, no confusion. Clear signs for all of us. So let's get into the surah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off right after this small introduction. He says, And the one who commits zina from the female and the male, whip them a hundred lashes. Not only that, Allah then says, don't feel sorry for them. Don't feel sorry for them when you do this. If you, in fact, do believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day. Now, if you think about it, this is Surah An-Nur and, and subhanAllah, you'd expect it to be filled with like, you know, ayat of mercy and light and, you know, nice, peaceful things. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off with the with the punishment of zina, hundred lashes. Isn't that strange? Right? Does it make you wonder why why such a harsh introduction? Because this surah is actually going to talk primarily about this very topic of, of immorality, and the opposite of which is modesty. Okay? And here, the, the hundred lashes. Just just to give you a small ruling here. This is specific to zina or fornication, which is outside of marriage. Okay. Who knows what's the punishment for committing zina while married? Stoning to death, okay? Stoning to death. And that is not mentioned in the Quran, it's mentioned in the hadith books, okay? And just for, for your reference, this was actually implemented by Musa salam also. So this is rulings coming, com, coming to us from the Torah itself. But a hundred lashes. Why? Why a hundred lashes? 
Not only that, and make sure it's done in public so that people watch this, so that people learn their lesson from this. Okay? Because when you see this happening in public, number one, the people who did it are going to be extremely embarrassed, right? Number two, the people who are watching, will they even think about doing this? They won't think about doing this, okay? And subhanAllah, just to give you a small contrast here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about zina, right? But Allah also gave us a way out of this, marriage, right? Just think about weddings and marriage halls and the light that's involved in this happy occasion. Try to remember a nice wedding you went to. You saw so many lights, people dressed up, there's like, you know, happiness and noor everywhere, right? Everyone's smiling and there's, you know, cameras and all of this and photos. So all of this is happening inside, uh, in the scene of marriage. Let's contrast that light environment to a case of zina, where there's darkness, there's regret, there's sorrow, there's depression, there's feeling of guilt, right or no? And usually a lot of these cases of zina, what ends up happening is that these marriages end up uh, resulting in babies that are basically um, not legit babies, right? And so what, what's the normal stance of society when it comes to babies? Abortion, right? Which is such a, also such a dark act to do. Abortion itself, and we've seen, we've read cases in the GDN of people who basically throw their babies in the garbage bin, right? Have you heard these stories? These are dark realities of our society, okay? Allah is saying, I've given you a way out of this. Marriage is the way of, of making this work out, right? Why, why choose the dark route? And so, the hypocrites, right? Remember, they, like, going back into the context of the surah, the hypocrites, when they spread all these rumors about Aisha anha, this ayah comes down, and what's the reaction of the hypocrites? They're like, yes, ayah of zina just came down. This, this is perfect and according to our plan. They got really happy about this, you know, because now this justified their rumor spreading. Okay? And so they were really excited about this surah, uh, this, this introduction coming down. And just one thing that we, ha we have to all recognize is that the enforcement of laws is not something that we can take in our hands today. Right? These are laws that were sent down in Medina when there was a perfect Islamic state in place, there was a constitution, there was a government, there was a khalifa, and there were systems in place. So for you to implement this law in your backyard or in your neighborhood, is that going to work? No, forget it, please. Unfortunately, we have some people of ignorance who try to implement these laws, right? They try to take law in their own hands, which is not appropriate. That's the wrong way of thinking about this. So, just an important point to refer to. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about zina itself, He says, don't go near it. وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا Don't go near zina. Why did He say, don't go near it? Because if you go near it, Chances are shaitan with his footsteps and his tricks and his delusions will, try to, will, will probably pull you into it. And Allah uses the same terminology for Adam and Hawa when they were prohibited from eating from the tree. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, وَلَا تَقْرَبَا هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ Don't go near this tree. And what happened eventually? They went near the tree, shaitan pulled them in and they ate from the tree. So we have a classic example from Adam السلام, on the seriousness of this matter, seriousness, the seriousness of going uh, near this, this shame, shameful act itself. 
Next, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves on to the, uh, the laws that have to deal with accusing people of something they haven't done. Judgments. Those who throw false accusations against al-muhsanat. And by the way, when this ayat came down next, what happened to the hypocrites now? They started getting upset. Oh no, 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 no. Our plan failed. Allah basically called us out. They spread false accusations. Allah is saying, Those who throw false accusations against the chaste women, people of honor, people of modesty, women of modesty, if they don't come up with four witnesses, guess what? They get to be lashed 80 times. And their witness will never be taken in court. Okay, so for the hypocrites, this was a big, big uh, thing to be afraid of and something that they were upset about now, right? All of a sudden. And so, yarmun al-muhsanat. Yarmun literally means to aim at somebody. It's as if it's used in, in the language of war, right? Rimaya, which means uh, to actually point an arrow at somebody. And muhsanat comes from the root word husn, which actually means a fort. And so basically Allah is describing to us that these women are so modest and so protective of their modesty Yet some evil people from the outside are trying to attack their honor and attack their modesty. You see the imagery that Allah is building here? It's so beautiful. So Allah is saying, four witnesses. Now what are the chances of that happening? What are the chances of a witness seeing, or four witnesses seeing this act happening? Very, very unlikely, right? So this is also from the mercy of Allah's sharia, right? That he had made, there's so much leeway in it and there's so much way to get out of it right even if you fall into this mistake there's way of doing tawbah and getting out of it right you really have to be messed up for four people to see you for you to be able to be accused of this, this uh, horrendous act okay and so what lesson is Allah teaching us in this ayah watch your tongues watch your tongues okay and subhanallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us how many ears how many ears? Two. Okay, some of you are thinking. One, two, three. Two ears. How many tongues? One tongue. So, so, we, so that we listen more and we talk less. And by the way, our tongues are actually, there's two gateways that are protecting our tongues. What are they? The teeth and the, the lips. So subhanAllah, even the way Allah created us, the way He created the tongue, He, he told us, in a way He's teaching us, guard your tongues. Guard the way you accuse people, okay? Don't, don't accuse people falsely. And look at this beautiful hadith that sums up these two ayat that just came up. The Prophet ﷺ said, and this is in Bukhari, whoever can guarantee the chastity of what is between his jawbones, which is his tongue, and what is between his legs, the private parts, I can guarantee Jannah for him. I guarantee paradise for him. And this is what these two ayats are covering, right? The first ayah about zina was talking about protecting your private parts. And the, this ayah is talking about guarding your tongue. These are the top most dangerous things that uh, are in our societies today. Okay, very, very dangerous. And I'll share with you a very interesting uh, incident that happened during the time of Umar. So as Umar was in the marketplace, uh, someone comes up to him and says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, behind this curtain, there's two people committing zina. And so you know what Umar did? He punched him in the face. And he said, shut up. Did you have four witnesses with you? 
Did you see it happening with your own eyes? Stop spreading false rumors. Stop spreading things that you're not sure about. Okay? And so the concept of sitr, the concept of you know, protecting the modesty of others, protecting and, and, and staying away from embarrassing others. Nowadays, when you hear about like, some immoral act happening, or if you hear about someone who has a girlfriend or a boyfriend, what, what's the natural reaction? You take your phone out, open WhatsApp, guess what? Right? You won't believe what I just heard. Breaking news, right? And you press send and literally, you know what? This, this message has, has gone to so many people. Remember that you, by doing this, you deserve 80 lashes in public. Thank God that this law is not implemented nowadays. <laughs> Otherwise, there will be a lot of, uh, you know, we need a lot of whips then, you know? Good business to get into. Leather whips imported from Sialkot. Huh? So Allah's name, one of Allah's beautiful names is Al-Sattar. Okay? Allah's beautiful name, Al-Sattar. You've, you've all heard the name Abdul Sattar somewhere, right? So Al-Sattar literally means the one who conceals our flaws, subhanAllah. Allah conceals our flaws, but what do we do? We reveal the flaws of others. How do we even expect Allah to, to conceal our flaws where we are revealing the flaws of others? Have some decency, please. You know, this is a reminder for all of us. Let's think twice before exposing the shames of others. Let's learn to cover up their shame. So it, and, and when you do this, do it with the intention that, Ya Allah, I'm not going to press the send button. Just with the intention that inshallah one day on the day of judgment you will conceal my flaws in front of everybody on the day of judgment. Okay? And then, you know, um, there's also this uh, section that talks about married people. I won't get into that. But Allah says, look at this beautiful ayah. Allah says, Had it not been for the favors of Allah and His mercy upon you, and then Allah stops there. Dot, dot, dot. He doesn't continue the sentence. You know what that implies? It implies that the, the, this discussion, if Allah was to continue it, the consequences would be really, really tough. Now, I'll give an example of that. Let's say my daughter, she really messed up in school, right? If I tell her, Nof, if you ever do that again, and I say, quiet. What's she, is she going to get the point? She can fill in the dots, right, herself. Allah is saying, وَلَوْلَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَتَهُ Dot, dot, dot. إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَابٌ حَكِيمٌ SubhanAllah. What's Allah referring to here? The laws that He's, put, he's actually enforcing on us. He's saying these laws are fadl. This is a favor upon you. If you only knew. And if you only knew that if you don't apply these laws in your lifestyle, the consequences will be so bad that I have no words to explain. No words to explain, subhanAllah. Okay? Um, let's talk a little bit about Aisha Radhalanha's case. Okay, so this is the story of the necklace. And subhanAllah, as I was reading this, I came to one conclusion. I'm never going to complain to my wife about her love of jewelry from now onwards, right? Because Aisha Radhanha, our mother of, our, of the believers, she had this special thing with her necklace. And subhanAllah, as I was doing research, this is not the first time she lost her necklace, by the way. 
This is the second time she did this, yani, subhanAllah. But basically what happened was, back in the days, you know, the women, they used to be, when they, when they would go out on expeditions, they would be carried on these, uh, you know, they're, they're called hawdaj in Arabic, which basically is like a compartment that's carried on the shoulders of men, okay? And then they're put on the camels, basically. And, and during times of rest, they're put down so they could go and relieve themselves if they want to, you know, answer the call of nature, basically. So Aisha, she went out to answer the call of nature. And as she was coming back, she looks down and her necklace is missing. And some riwayat say that this necklace was actually the necklace the Prophet ﷺ gifted to Khadija. So it was a very special necklace and it had a lot of meaning. She really wanted to go back and, and get it, okay? So as she went, went to find it, she found it, alhamdulillah, she came back, and guess what? The people had left. Why did they leave? Because, you know, back then, they couldn't tell if someone was sitting in these compartments or not. Women were so light back then. Hint for the women. Lightweight women, okay? Time to lose some weights, sisters, okay? So they actually left without taking her, thinking that she was already in that compartment. And so they left, and the idea was that um, there was usually some Sahabi was appointed to stay back behind this group to make sure there's nothing left behind, okay? So as he was doing his uh, cleaning up and making sure nothing's left behind, he sees a woman sleeping, and Aisha was smart. She, she basically slept where she was, you know, in the same position. So. The sahab, Sahabi basically lets her know that he's there and he tells her to get up on the camel. And the Sahabi starts walking in front of Aisha Radanha and they don't talk, basically they just walk their way back to Medina. And so this whole concept of ladies first, right? It's, it's nonsense, right? Men first. We learned this from the story. That's why, you know, men pray in front of women. If men prayed behind women, then men would not be praying, they would be looking at something, right? So, concept of ladies first, be, beware of that. It's a shaitani thing. So, Abdullah bin Ubay, when he heard about this, he said, yes, this is my chance to destroy this uh, household of the Prophet And so he spread news like wildfire, just like these magazines, you know, Inquirer and Gossip and all of these uh, magazines that sell so well. You know, nowadays in the West, newspapers are going bankrupt, but these magazine, Gossip Industry, it's actually flourishing. Why? Because people love this kind of stuff. This sells, right? And so, uh, this, the news spread like fire, and Aisha Dana was like, um, really difficult situation to be in, right? She actually told, told the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr Siddiq that, you know, I have nothing to say but what Yaqub said to his children about the loss of Yusuf Subhanallah. All she had was beautiful patience. And some riwayats say that Quran didn't come down for a month. For one month, Quran didn't come out, come down. So imagine the, the doubt and all this confusion that was there. Did she do it? Did she not do it? Did she do it? Did she not do it? Some Sahaba actually fell into this, like Hassan bin Thabit. They actually believed that, yes, she did it, subhanAllah. Okay? So very, very tough times. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who came up with this horrendous lie are a small group of you, usbah. And, and usbah refers to people who have the power to spread news. Just like today, you know some people who have a lot of followers on Twitter and Facebook? One message, they have influence, right? They have impact. That's what usbah refers to here. 
So Allah says, don't worry about it. Don't think this is evil. لا تحسبوه شرا لكم بل هو خير لكم. Okay? There's some good in it. And subhanAllah, think about it. Was it if it was not for the necklace of Aisha anha, this surah would not have been revealed. This surah would not have been revealed. But when it was revealed, subhanAllah, Aisha anha felt comfort. Because Allah exposed in Quran till the day of judgment that Aisha anha is innocent. And this is a big fat lie, basically. So it was a big slap in the face of the hypocrites. And it was exposing them uh, in a big way, subhanAllah. And subhanAllah, Allah says, لَوْلَا إِذْ سَمِعْتُمُوهُ Why isn't it that when you heard it, you didn't stop and think twice? Why did you react like, oh my God, did you hear what just happened? Did you hear this? Did you hear that? You, you straight away fall into assumption. You straight away fall into judgment without verifying your sources. Okay? Allah is saying, لَوْلَا إِذْ سَمِعْتُمُوهُ why didn't you think positively? Which is known as husn al-dhan. Why did you have su'a al-dhan from the beginning? Alright? Very big lesson for all of us. Stop having evil judgments of others. Stop assuming the wrong thing about others. Why don't you have husn al-dhan? Give them excuses. Give your brother and sister 70 excuses before excusing them. Okay? So stop judging others. Do not be a judge. Stop judging others. And um, just to move on here, okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the tongue again. You let this thought touch your tongues, basically. So, you know, in, in modern days, we, we say, you know, if you say that, I'm going to cut your tongue off. Right? Allah is saying, you have the, uh, the audacity and the, the, uh, yani, the guts to say this with your tongue? How dare you? Not only that, then he says, from your tongue it went to your mouth. And then you said it with your mouth. Subhanallah. So there's like an imagery being built. It was a thought. That thought touched the tongue. And then the tongue went into the mouth. And then and they started talking about it like it's normal things. It's like a snowball effect that Allah is basically describing to us, right? How a thought can become a major rumor that spreads in society, subhanAllah. So Allah says about those who like to spread shamelessness in a society, Those who like to spread shamelessness in society, they have a severe punishment in this dunya and in akhirah. And then Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. It's an address to all of us believers. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. La tattabi'u khutwat shaytan Do not follow the footsteps of shaytan. وَمَنْ يَتَّبِعْ خُطْوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَأْمُرُ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Whoever follows the footsteps of shaytan, shaytan most definitely commands you to commit shamelessness and munkar. Munkar basically means something unheard of. You start doing weird things. So just to imagine this, following footsteps of shaitan, if, if you do that, it will lead you to shamelessness. That's what shaitan wants you to eventually do. And then shamelessness will lead you to loss of decency. When you lose your decency, then what's going to happen? Eventually you lose your humanity. Subhanallah. 
Okay? And, and just to refer to in Surah Al-A'raf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what shaitan's ultimate objective is. When he made Adam and Hawa eat from the tree, listen to this carefully, because we're breaking for Maghrib soon. When shaitan deceived Adam and Hawa to eat from the tree, he exposes to us why he did that in Surah Al-A'raf. He says, he did that, he did that for one reason, so that they would remove their clothes and expose and reveal their sawat. Sawat basically means bodies, right? Naked bodies, basically. That was shaitan's objective, to make us take our clothes off. And is shaitan being successful in this nowadays? With the fashion industry and the movie industry and the music videos? Yes or no? Yes, clothes are com coming, the skirts are getting shorter and shorter and... You know, without going to details, but that's what's happening. Fahsha is spreading. And subhanAllah, the word that Allah chose, لِيُبْدِيَ لَهُمَا مَا عَنْهُمَا مِنْ سَوْآتِهِمَا You know the word sawa? It was actually used to describe the corpse of Habil when he was killed by his brother Qabil. A sawa is actually a dead corpse. And what Allah here is hinting to is, that our natural reaction, anyone here enjoys watching dead corpses, by the way? Anyone uh, gets a kick out of watching dead corpses for fun? Anyone addicted to that kind of stuff online? Allah is saying, watching a naked body, an exposed body, is equivalent to a dead corpse, basically. So our natural human fitrah is that we feel disgusted when we see dead corpses, don't we? Allah is saying, your natural fitrah is, when you see something shameful as an a body being exposed fully, your natural fitra reaction is that you have to feel disgusted. And guess what? If you feel enjoyment out of that, if you're addicted to that kind of, that kind of stuff, then you have lost your fitra, basically. You have basically become no better than an animal. So that is the objective of shaitan, subhanAllah. So shamelessness is a big, big uh, topic in this discussion, and um, um, inshallah, we'll take a small break for Maghrib, right? Is it a small break or a big break? It's a pretty big one, right? So we have Maghrib, and then we have some break for refreshment, so we'll be back in what, like 20 minutes? Let's do 20 minutes, half an hour? 5.30. 5.30, okay, so we're back at 5.30, don't run away. Because we have ayat al-Nur coming up, and trust me, you do not want to miss that ayah, inshallah. So we'll continue after the break, assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalam ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Okay, so we're back. Um, inshallah, all of you are fresh now, ready for round two? Okay, so we finished talking about, um, you know, the, the rulings for zina, false accusations. We, we talked a little bit about Aisha radhalana's case study. I want to talk a little bit more about these laws and then we'll go into ayat al-Nur. Is that fine? Yes, because I think we still um, have a little bit more to finish, finish off, inshallah. Okay. So the next uh, thing that we want to talk about is visiting laws, visiting manners. Subhanallah, imagine the Quran has actually put some teachings for us on how to visit each other. Isn't that amazing? So Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, those who believe. Those of you who claim to believe. Subhanallah. Do not enter the houses of people before letting them know that you're coming. 
before making sure tastanisu basically comes from the root word uns, which means they have to enjoy your company. They have to feel happy that you're visiting them. And number two, what to sallimu ala ahliha, and you're basically supposed to say salam to them. So Allah is telling us that you need to take permission before entering the houses of people. This is like adab when it comes to visiting people, right? So nowadays what happens is people just walk in, surprise, we're home, you know? They just bump, bump into the, the room and the, and, the, and the hall and everyone's, subhanAllah, they could be people in different situations, right? They could be women who are supposed to wear hijab or not wearing hijab. Or you could be seen in a, in a situation where you don't want to be seen in. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us that we need to have respect of privacy of others. Knock on the door before entering, ring the bell, whatever it takes. And even subhanAllah, the ulama say, when you ring the bell, you don't just stand there in front of the door waiting, you know, with your eyes waiting for someone to come out. No, you, you ring on the bell and you stand on the side. And then let them come out, right? This is adab of, of visiting people, subhanAllah, okay? Which is uh, a fundamental part of this, this ayah here. And, you know, if you don't find anyone there in the house, if you're ringing one time, two times, three times, don't keep ringing. Get the hint. Either people are busy inside, they don't want to see your face, or nobody's in the house, so get lost, Danny, you know? Don't just sit there and keep ringing the bell two, three, four, five, six times. No. Allah says, فَإِنَّمْ تَجِدُ فِيَا أَحَدًا فَلَا تَدْخُلُوهَا حَتَّى يُؤْذَلَ لَكُمْ If you don't find anyone there, do not enter without permission. I remember back when we were kids, we used to like go into these haunted houses and stuff, right? Just out of exploration, yeah. But um, of course, that's wrong, right? People's houses, you're not supposed to go in these houses without permission. And وَإِنْ قِيلَ لَكُمْ إِرْجِعُوا فَرْجِعُوا If they tell you, sorry, we're busy, can you come back later? Don't say, no, 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 I'm, I'm just here for five minutes. So is it okay for, for me to come in five minutes? Just, I just need to tell you something. I just need to give you something. No, if they say, don't come in, don't come in, get lost. And even when you get lost, don't try to think about, hmm, there must be something fishy going on inside there. I wonder why they didn't let me in. You know, don't think about these things. Don't let these thoughts come in your mind, subhanAllah. Okay? Next, lowering the gaze, a very important topic. Okay? So, um, again, the Quran has given us instructions on how to manage our eyes. SubhanAllah, just think about that, right? And by the way, Allah says in the Quran that Ya'lamu Khainatal A'yun wa ma sudur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the deceit of the eyes. And we're living in times today where there's so much shamelessness all around us, okay, and this applies to both sisters and brothers, okay, that it's so difficult to lower your gaze from this shamelessness. So let's see what Allah says about this. Allah says, Listen to this carefully. Allah says, tell to the Prophet tell the believers that they should lower their gaze and protect their private parts, protect their shames. So Allah here is hinting to the fact that there is a direct link between your eyes and your shame, your, your private parts. Direct link. That is purer for you. And so lowering the gaze and times that we are living in, lowering the gaze has become so, so uh, important and critical because if you don't lower your gaze, then what's going to happen to your heart? What's going to happen to your heart? It's going to get corrupted. 
it's going to get corrupted, okay? And, and inshallah, we'll talk about this in, in the ayah that's coming up, in ayah to nur, inshallah, in more depth. But the idea is, today we're living in times when even when you lower your gaze, you're on your phone, right? People are walking and they're just lowering their gaze. And they're watching all this filth as they're even lowering the gaze. So where do you look? SubhanAllah, you look up, there's shame. You look down on your phone, there's shame. So, and now Google is coming up with Google Glass. Where literally, you're, you're not even going to have to do anything. Just, you know, everything's going to be right there and you're seeing everything in front of your eyes. Nobody will even know about it. SubhanAllah. So, tough times coming ahead. Tough times coming ahead. But the idea is... Um, Protect your private parts. And look at, look at this beautiful ending to this ayah. Allah says, ذَلِكَ أَسْكَ لَكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا يَصْنَعُونَ Allah is fully aware of what they manufacture. You know, يَصْنَعُونَ comes from the root word صِنَاعَ which means to manufacture something. Now why did Allah choose this word here? Because Allah knows what you're planning in the background. There's a full plan in your mind, right? You have that, that first glance at that sister, you know, and then it will follow with a smile. You have that plan in, in your head, right? The smile will lead to asking a question, maybe, you know what, can you help me with homework? And then that question about homework will lead to, you know what, um, do you have Facebook, by the way? And then you add her on Facebook, and then, you know what, I think WhatsApp is better to communicate. Let's discuss homework on WhatsApp. And then you discuss homework on WhatsApp, and then, you know what, I think we should have a Skype video session just so I can share my notes with you. So one footstep at a time. Allah is saying, Allah knows fully what you're planning. This whole manufacturing plan that you have in your mind, Allah knows about it. So don't try to play games. Lower your gaze. Okay? Lower your gaze. And then Allah says to the, to the, to the sisters now, this topic is for the sisters. مُؤْمِنَاتِ وَقُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يَغْضُضْنَ مِنْ أَبْصَارِهِنَّ وَيَحْفَظْنَ فُرُوجَهُنَّ So lowering the gaze is not only for the brothers, it's also for the sisters. Allah is saying, tell them to lower their gaze. Now, some, some sisters might argue, you know what, this, this whole thing about watching shamelessness, this is something for the guys, it's not for us. Is that true or no, sisters? Can I see hands up for, for those of you who think that this is only an issue for brothers? No, alhamdulillah. Brothers, you don't see this, but not a single hand went up. So this is an issue that has to deal with both male and female people. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in addition to lowering the gaze and protecting the, the private parts, Allah added something extra for the sisters. He says, وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا And do not show your beauty, do not expose your beauty except for what is seen. And the ulama here say it's the face and the hands without getting into the fiqh debate, right? And basically, cover yourself up. Do not show your beauty except for 12 people in this ayah. There's a list of 12 people that you're allowed to show your beauty to. That includes your husbands, your fathers, your sons, your you know, uncles and aunts and all, all of these people. Without going into the details, right? You can refer back to it. But there's 12 people and Allah made this ayah so long. Look at how long the ayah is. Did Allah, why did Allah make it so detailed? Just think about it. Is it just, uh, you know, like faltu bate, you know, like they say extra words? Or is there a meaning behind it? 
there's a big meaning, there's a big lesson that these are the guidelines. These are the only people you're allowed to show your beauty to. Other than that, Allah said, وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا for these people. Okay? وَلْيَضْرِبْنَ بِخُمُرِهِنَّ عَلَى جِيُوبِهِنَّ This is the ayah of hijab, one of the ayat of hijab. Okay, there's several ayat of hijab in the Quran. This is one of the places. Allah says, and let them strike with their khimar. Their khumurihin comes from the root word khimar, which is a head covering that's supposed to also cover your chest. وَلْيَضْرِبْنَ بِخُمُرِهِنَّ عَلَى جِيُوبِهِنَّ Jiyub is basically the, the chest cavity here. Okay? And so the proper khimar is supposed to not only cover the hair, like we see it nowadays in fashion, right? Some, some sisters, you know, they just cover the hair and the earrings are showing and the chest is showing and everything's showing. Allah says, And he used the root word, Why? Because when you strike it, it's going to be intact. It's not going to be loose. It's not going to fall apart. Some sisters have problems keeping the hijab in place, right? They need hijab courses to make sure the hijab doesn't fall off and stuff. So, Allah is describing to us the khimar. And now, another thing about lowering the gaze for sisters is, there's something, something happens when a sister does not lower her gaze to a brother. You know, there's that magical moment when the arrow basically strikes the brother, right? There's something to do with the eyes and connection with the heart. It makes the boys melt. It makes the guys melt, basically. So Allah is saying, lower your gaze. Don't show this, this look of yours, this killer look of yours. Don't save it for your husband. Don't share it with public, because you're going to throw a lot of arrows, and a lot of people are going to have heart bleeding. Okay? Um, another advice here for the sisters, your hijab, right? Your khimar and your, the way you dress. It's not just the head covering. It's the dressing of modesty. Unfortunately, we have sisters today who wear hijab, mashallah, but the beauty is not and hidden, right? It's exposed still. What's the point? It's not about the hair. It's not just the hair that's attractive, right? There's a lot of other things that are attractive. So make sure you dress modestly. This is advice, not from me. Advice from who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nur. You want light in your house? You want light in your family? You want light in your community? Protect your beauty, save your beauty for these 12 people, and specifically your husband. Yeah. Um, and of course, zina also, beauty, is also in the voice. You know, Allah says elsewhere in the Quran that do not you know, speak softly. Do not speak softly. That doesn't mean you have to be rude, yani, but don't speak softly. Don't use those, hi, brother Fahad. You know, I need some help with like the, uh, you know, the conference brochure. Can you help me with that, please? Don't do that soft voice, please. Okay? That, again, that's another melting formula for the brothers. They just melt with soft voice. So have the stern voice. I like to call it like the business voice. Brother Fahad, I need help with the brochure. Can you help me or no? Yes, okay, let's do this. All right, fine. Jazakallah khair. alaikum. That's it, done. That's the way, even when you deal with business. And some sisters, subhanAllah, I was reading on this. This actually exists in the books of uh, fiqh. Like during the time of the Prophet and the tabi'een, some sisters, you know, by nature they have soft voices. 
And so they asked the fuqaha, what do we do? Yani, even by just asking a normal question, how much does this cost? It makes the guys melt. So what do we do in this case? So subhanAllah, the, the scholars say that you, you know, if your voice is ultra, ultra soft, then use your khimar to cover your mouth and speak. Subhanallah, you know, just use whatever it takes. There are machines called like voice, uh, voice changing machines that ch change your voice into a robot. Yeah, use that, maybe that'll help. But just be careful. This is zina also. Your voice is also zina, subhanAllah. And another problem we have nowadays, social media. Allah just said, knock on the doors before asking permission so that you will not see something wrong, something that you're not supposed to see. But then sisters put up their photos on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for the whole world to see, right? As at a click of a button. Allah is saying, don't show off your beauty and you're showing it off online in public. And it stays there forever, basically. So be careful of what, how you share, what you share, with whom you share. You know, like cameras are nice, but if used the wrong way, and social media also, I mean, if used the wrong way, we have so many stories, I keep reading stories in the news about scandals where brothers take photos of sisters and then they blackmail them that if you don't come with me, then I'm gonna expose your photo online and this and that. So avoid all of that, please. Yeah. This is all teachings from the Quran. And then marriage. How many here are not married? Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah of Noor says, you want Noor in your, in your, in your life? Get married. And for the parents, how many parents here want to get, want to get your kids married? Just one? Astaghfirullah. <laughs> okay. Parents who want to get your kids married, this is for you. This ayah is for you. Get those who are single. Ayama means single. This includes people who are divorced, includes people who are widows, it includes people who are single and righteous. Allah is commanding you. Get them married. Get them out of this mess of lowering the gaze and hijab and all. Get them married. Let this energy come out. Let all this stress come out. Stop putting such tough guidelines on marriage. And as subhanAllah, we're living in times where, you know, the mahar and, you know, um, what do they call it? Dowry, right? The dowry is such a big problem, right? People can't afford to get married. You know, parents have such high criteria in terms of how much the guy should be making in terms of money, where his house is going to be. I, I heard like the sister telling us in, at work the other day that a new condition that's out for parents is you got to get me a house in Rafah views, then I'll give you my daughter. Subhanallah. So the, the limits are getting higher and higher. Whereas we know from the seerah and, and the sahaba, just some dates would be enough as mahar to get your daughters married, right? But at the same time now, guys, you don't need to take this take for advantage, right? Take advantage of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes marriage as mithaqan ghalidha. Just like a very tight and thick rope, mithaqan ghalidha. It's a very thick rope. It's a serious contract that you're making with your spouse. So don't play games. Don't say, oh, I'll try and give it a shot. If it works out, fine. If not, then chalo, try karte, you know? Mithaqan ghalidha. And you know this word mithaqan ghalidha? This is used elsewhere in the Quran to describe the contract between the prophets and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See how thick this contract is? How serious it is? And you know, I was talking to a friend of mine in Saudi, asking him, you know, in Saudi, the dowries are crazy. Like you have to pay like uh, things like 40,000 dinars worth of dowry to get married, right? So I asked 
One of the brothers there, why is it so high? He said, because guys would take advantage of the low dowries back in the good days. They would pay the small dowries and they would play around with the, with the daughters of people and then they would divorce them. So the parents were forced to increase the dowries to make sure that those who are proposing are really serious about this. So, so it's, it's both ways. Like, like people who want to get married, it's a big responsibility on you to man up, right? You want to get married, start earning money, start fixing your breadwinner role. And for the parents, at the same time, you need to soften up and accept someone if they have the minimum bare qualities, okay? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even the, the law of prostitution is in, included in this ayah of surah, or in this surah, subhanAllah. You see how, how real Qur'an is? Do these things exist in our communities, and our societies? But, you know, we could be, for example, um, shying away from some discussions, right? Usually we don't talk about these things. But Allah says, teach this to your women. Learn this. Umar told his people, go teach your women Surah An-Nur. Why? Allah doesn't want these things to be things that are, you know, secret things that you're not supposed to talk about. We're supposed to discuss these matters. They're real matters. Allah says about this, uh, these people, وَلَا تُكْرِهُ فَتَيَاتِكُمْ عَلَى الْبِغَاءِ Don't force your daughters into prostitution. This was a very common practice, by the way, in Medina. A lot of families who were not wealthy, they used to use their daughters to make money, basically. And that's what happens in society when we don't take care of women. You know, Surah An-Nisa, this entire surah is about reminding us as a community to take care of our women. Our women have a very high status in society. And when we fail to take care of our women, then women get forced into doing such crimes, right? And then when women are forced to do these crimes, it's as if Allah is telling us, don't whip the women 100 lashes for committing that zina. The society now needs to be whipped because you didn't take care of your women to begin with. You get this? Next, bedroom rules for those who are married. How many people married here? Okay, subhanAllah, you love these, you love these ayat. Really, when I was studying these ayat, I fell in love with these ayat. Allah says, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu. Those of you who claim to believe, لِيَسْتَأْذِنُكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ لَمْ يَبْلُغُ الْحُلُمَ مِنْكُمْ ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتِ Your kids who haven't reached the age of puberty, they're supposed to seek permission before entering your bedrooms three times of the day. مِنْ قَبْلِ صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ Before صَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ And during noon time, when it's like your qaylula time, I don't know, if, how many people here practice qaylula? Okay, alhamdulillah. So qaylula time, that's the time to take your afternoon nap. And then, min ba'di salat al-isha, after isha. Let me repeat that. Three times of the day, okay? Day, uh, first one is before salat al-fajr. Number two is during noon time. Last one is after isha. Thalathu awratin lakum. Allah says these three times of the day are awrat for you. You're supposed to be, you know, in your privacy. And you know, an advice for you is get in the habit of locking the door. I'm actually practicing this with my wife like, as we speak, and we're trying to implement this. Lock the doors so that they're forced to knock and seek permission. Don't leave the doors open. 
Don't say, oh, bichare, you know, bache aajenge, khelenge. Don't say that. Allah says, teach this to your kids from now. When they're, they're young, they need to know that there's times of privacy where we're not allowed to go in, these, in the room. We have to teach it from a young age. And at the same time, uh, if you just start locking the door, you're, you're applying this ayah of the Qur'an. You'll get rewarded for applying an ayah of the Qur'an, implementing it in your lives. So shall all of you ready to lock your doors tonight? <laughs> okay, so um, Allah says, and by the way, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention these ayat? Why did He say, lock, let them seek permission? Because He knows that you're going to expect them one day, right? He knows that you you can expect them to come. They will come in. Like, you know, uh, uh, soft toys. They'll come in your room and they'll crawl around you. And they'll sneak into your bed. And as you're sleeping, you'll feel someone's elbow hit you. Um, you know, the other day, Abdullah's foot was in my mouth, right? right? So these things will happen. And parents know what I'm talking about, don't they? Yes? Children do end up coming in. And so, is there anything wrong with this? By the way, don't get this ayah wrong. Don't think that this ayah is saying, lock your children out of the room all night long. No. This is ayah just to tell us, to, to teach them to seek permission. If they do seek permission, you can open the door and let them come in. It's not like they're banned from coming in your room these times. They just need to know that they need to seek permission. So expect them. And look at how beautiful this ayah closes. لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَلَا عَلَيْهِمْ جُنَاحٌ after these times, after these three times, there's, there's no uh, complications after this, right? Relax, you can relax. And then Allah uses the word tawafuna alaykum. Literally, they're doing tawaf around you. You know, they're coming on your bed, they're climbing on your bed, they're jumping. Then they're going out, they're going to play, uh, you know, with their toys. Then they're coming back again, continuing their tawaf and climbing on your head and your shoulders and then going and checking out some other toys and then coming back. How many parents here experience this tawaf of children in their rooms? Subhanallah. Allahu Akbar. See how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through these beautiful words is describing what happens in our bedrooms. Not only that, then Allah says, Ba'dukum ala ba'ath. Literally, you climbing on top of each other. And that's exactly what happens with our children in the bedroom. Right? They jump on us, we jump on them, they're climbing on our shoulder. One daughter is climbing on my knees and the other is on the head. Ba'dukum ala ba'ath. Subhanallah. Right? Allah knows what happens in our bedrooms. And He has revealed ayat that will stay there till the end of time to teach us how to deal with these situations. So Allah doesn't want us, and by the way, in these ayat is mercy and love for our children. Allah wants us to be, to be loving and playful with our kids. He doesn't want us to be strict kids who lock their kids out. No. He doesn't want us to leave our kids with the housemates and we enjoy the night ourselves. This is part of terbiyah. Playing with your kids. Being patient with them coming in. And then Allah says, كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah knows. Allah knows what's going to happen in your life. In your bedroom even. So we're done with the laws, right? Just take a look, another look at these laws. If we could summarize all of these laws into one word, what, what would it be? Modesty. Isn't it true? Most of these laws, if not all, are summarizing 
the concept of modesty in a society. And by the way, who comes to mind when it comes to modesty? Men or women? Men or women? I can't hear you. Women, right? The Prophet ﷺ said, لِكُلِّ دِينٍ خُلُقُ الْإِسْلَامِ الْحَيَاءِ For every deen, there is a, a value that stands out. And for Islam, that value that stands out is modesty. And you know, the, the word for women in Arabic is imra'ah. And another word in Arabic is mir'ah, which means mirror. It comes from the root word, a similar root word than uh, like imra'ah. So imra'ah and mir'ah. You guys see the similarity in the, in the words? So in the word, the meaning that's embedded is that women are a reflection of a society. If we have modest women, then modesty will prevail in societies. If women are corrupt, they're immoral, if there's shamelessness in society, then what's going to happen to society? Shamelessness is going to spread. So sisters, you have the upper hand in this, right? You have the control of, of the entire uh, community itself. So big responsibility. Now we're ready to get into the juicy part, okay? Light of Iman, Ayat al-Nur, okay? Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. This is ayah number 35. Like I told you, it's placed right in the middle of the surah. Okay? It's as if Allah is saying, this is the heart of the matter. So you better pay attention. You want all of those laws to be easy for you to implement? Pay attention to this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off by saying, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the light of the skies and the earth. Just like without the sun, can we see anything outside? Can we see anything outside without the sun? Allah is telling us, just like the sun is our source of light during the day, in our lives, without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our lives will be filled with darkness. I'll repeat that. Just like the, without the sun, our eyes will be blinded, Without the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our lives will be blinded. We will be blinded spiritually. So this, this ayah itself actually is like a, a metaphor. You guys know what a metaphor is? It's basically an example, right? So there, there will be a physical meaning to it and a spiritual meaning here. Okay? What happens at night when the sun is, is gone? When the sun sets, what happens at night? We, we start switching on our lights, don't we? And does it take a lot of effort to switch on our lights? Yes, it does, right? You have to switch the light on. But in the back end, there's a lot of energy consumption, right? What was your electricity bill last month? Pretty hefty, right? Okay, so um, to generate electricity to light up our days in the night is very difficult, right? So Allah is saying, just like physically when my light goes out, when my sun goes out, your small lights come out. When the sun comes out, all your small tiny lights at night mean nothing. They're insignificant now. SubhanAllah. So this is actually a symbol or a metaphor for the Quran itself. You know, sometimes when we face hardships and difficulties in our lives, we try to think of solutions ourselves. We try to invent our own solutions. We try to read books and do research about some solutions for our problems. Allah is saying, when the Quran came out, 
all these minimal efforts that you have of finding sources of light are useless. The Quran is enough of a light for you. You guys get that? Okay, I'm going to get a bit deep in here, so bear with me, inshallah. Another benefit of the sun is that it's a source of life, right? Do you know that without the sun, we will all die? Literally, because um, the grass and, and, and all vegetation and plants, they all need the sun to survive, right? And then we need, we need the plants and the vegetables and the fruits to survive. Animals who feed off these plants need these plants to survive. So if plants are gone, animals are gone, we are gone. So just like the sun is a source of life for us, Allah is saying, spiritually speaking, Allah's nur, the Qur'an, is a source of life for us spiritually. Without the nur of the Qur'an in our lives, we will be spiritually dead. Just like without the sun, we will be physically dead, without the light of the Qur'an in our lives, we will be spiritually dead. And, you know, the sun is also a symbol of happiness, isn't it? Right? Have you ever seen a sun that's sad? No, usually sadness comes with like dark things like clouds and you know dark times. So Allah is teaching us here that you want happiness in your life just like the sun makes you happy during the day the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make you happy also. The light of the Quran is a source of happiness for you. You see how beautiful this, this ayah is? Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. This is the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah goes on and says, The example of his light is like a mishkat in which there is a misbah. Now let's, let's drill down and explain this. What is a mishkat and what, what is a misbah? A mishkat is basically this opening in the wall that has no exit outside. So it's usually used, it was used back in the days as a, a source of distributing light in a room. Okay? So it's like a small niche in a wall in which you put a lantern or a lamp. And the purpose of that niche is to concentrate the light of the lamp and spread it outside the room. You all get that? So what's the niche? It's, it's the mishkat. Okay? The mishkat is what? Say it out loud, all of you. Mishkat is what? The niche. Fiha misbah. In it there is a misbah. In it there is a lamp. Okay? In it there is a lamp. That lamp is your iman. That lamp is your iman. Okay? And then Allah says, Al and, and subhanAllah, this is an, uh, a metaphor for our heart, by the way. Because the chest resembles the mishkat, the niche in the wall. And inside the chest, we have our heart. Where does Iman lie? Iman is in the heart. So the misbah is your Iman. And the chest is the mishkat. Are you all with me so far? Okay. Then Allah says, Al-misbahu fi zujaja. Now that light is covered with a glass. That light is covered with a glass. Okay. Just like these lanterns, they have glass coverings in them. That glass, the metaphor for the glass is your heart itself. Okay, so let's do a quick recap. The, the niche is your chest. The misbah is iman. And the, and the misbah is covered in a glass. That glass is what? It's your? Say it out loud. It's your heart. So the glass is your heart. 
Now Allah describes the glass. It's not any, any heart. It's a special kind of heart that will have this iman. The glass is like a shining, shining glass. It's like a twinkling star. Remember twinkle, twinkle little star, right? This is how shining that glass is. And so what this uh, basically implies is that, why did Allah mention glass first? One of the importance of glass is it spreads light. Do you guys know this? So glass, first of all, spreads light. Number two, glass is a protection for the flame. Right? So if, if you have a lantern and you go, will it blow off? It won't go off, right? Why? Because the glass is protecting it from wind, from any sort of distraction, okay? And also, glass emphasizes that you need to constantly clean it. If you don't clean the glass, there's going to be a lot of dust in it. And when there's dust in it, will the light come out easily? So what do you need to do to the glass? Constant what? Constant cleaning, constant polishing. And at the same time, glasses are delicate. Just like our hearts are delicate. Easily breakable. Very vulnerable. Okay? So the polishing that happens, subhanAllah, Allah has made a system for us five times a day to make sure that that glass is like kawkabun durri. That glass is a shining star. That glass needs to be constantly polished and polished and polished. And that's what happens in salah. Or let me rephrase, that's what's supposed to happen in salah. Now think about this. Shaitan's danger out there is so serious that we have to polish our hearts how many times a day? Five times a day. This is excluding sunnah prayers, by the way. A minimum of five times a day. And, if, and for those people who are not praying five times a day, what's going to be the state of their hearts? What's going to be the state of their hearts? Going to be pretty rusty, right? Pretty dirty. What about those people who pray five times a day, but they don't know what they're saying? There's no quality in their prayers. It's just, you know, Alhamdulillah, the turbo salah. Will that have polishing? Will that do any polishing to your heart? Yes or no? No, forget it. This is talking about quality prayers. Okay? Then Allah says, now to ignite a lamp, what do you need? What do you need to ignite a lamp? You need oil, right? You need oil, okay? And inshallah, I'll do a demonstration for you later on, okay? So the oil is used to ignite the lamp. And by the way, what do you need also with the oil? To ignite the oil, what do you need? Match, a matchstick or some source of fire, okay? So these are the elements we'll talk about next. So quick recap, the niche is the chest, the misbah is your iman, the glass is your heart. And we know now that the glass needs to be constantly polished for the light to spread. Now Allah is saying that He's describing the oil. What kind of oil is it? He says, "Yuqadu min shajaratin mubaraka." It ignites from a tree that is blessed tree, and it's a zaytun tree. It's an olive tree. La sharqiyatin wa la Neither from the east nor from the west. Now, what is this talking about? Okay, it's actually first of all the eye is taking us outdoors. Okay, just now we were indoors and it was dark and there was a lantern in the wall. And now Allah is taking us outdoors, out in the sunlight, where there's a tree. And that tree is getting light, sunlight exposed from all directions, from the east and from the west. And science today has proven to get the best forms of oil, or sorry, science has proven that the best forms of oil 
is the olive oil. And even amongst all olive oils, the best form of olive oil are the oils that come from these trees. Because these trees get sunlight from all directions. They're usually elevated up. And when they're elevated up, they get sunlight from all directions. And therefore, the oil is extremely, extremely pure. It's highly flammable oil. You guys get this? So, um, and we all love olive oil, don't we? Like, hopefully, we're supposed to, right? What teeny with zaytun and all these things. You know, we, we like to uh, have olive with our bread, and some people like cooking with olive. Right or no? How many here cook with olive oil? Okay, mashallah, some health freaks out there. Okay, good. So, another name that was given to olive, olive trees was daughters of the sun. Listen to this carefully. The Arabs would call olive trees daughters of the sun. Why? Because during the day, the sun gives light to the people, right? But at night, what gives light to people? It's the lantern. And so these trees, their role, their job was all day, they would, you know, get all this sunlight and store all this sunlight so that at night, they could be the source of light for us in times of darkness. They would replace the role of the sun at night. See how beautiful that is? Okay. So, what, so that was the physical meaning. What's the spiritual meaning of this oil? It's the fitra. There's a fitra inside of us, the ruh inside of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given all of us a special thing called the ruh. We're not just made of bodies, we're made of bodies and ruhs, okay, or souls. And this ruh is from who? Through is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was blown into Adam alayhi salam. That's when he became alive. And also for us, the ruh is blown into us in the fourth month when you're in your mother's stomach, basically. In the fourth month, the 120th day, this ruh is blown into you and you become a human being. So this fitra, that's why, what's the first thing we're supposed to hear when we're born? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, right? We want to hear or we want to connect with Allah again. We want to remember Allah. Remember, the food for the ruh is remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like we feed our bodies with, you know, uh, food and drink and sleep and, and showers and all this, our ruh also needs food. And the food of the ruh is what? Remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Repeat after me. The food of the ruh is? Remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, when you're out of your mother's womb, you're crying, you're miserable, and then you hear the adhan, what's going to happen to your ruh? It's going to feel connected again with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with its creator. Subhanallah. And you all know this, that when we die, there is no, there is no uh, adhan, right? There's no, like you just basically pray the janazah with a takbir. So there's a hidden subtlety here that our life is so short, it's between, basically between an adhan and salah. That's how, um, that's how long your life is. That's it. And the ruh is hungry. We've been so obsessed with feeding our bodies all the time and we have neglected the ruh. The ruh is hungry for Quran. The ruh is hungry for dhikr. The ruh is hungry for a quality prayer. The ruh is hungry for a nice quality dua. But we have neglected it. We are so busy with our lives. Shaitan has deceived us. He has made us live a life of deception. 
التكاثر we have been deceived and we have been you know um, distracted just in accumulating more and more and more and more more and more and more money more and more and more bags more and more and more shoes more and more and more kids more and more and more properties better jobs more degrees الهاكم التكاثر we've been distracted we've lost focus with the ruh and then Allah describes this oil now listen to this carefully Allah says يَكَادُ زَيْتُهَا يُضِيءُ وَلَوْ لَمْ تَمْسَسْهُ نَارُ this oil is so hungry for that connection it's about to light up even without catching even without touching the fire just like you know um, to light up your barbecue for example now you know uh, desert season is coming up so barbecues will be very common to light up your barbecue you need to you know, the flame or the fire needs to touch the oil for it to ignite right but when you go to the petrol station what sign do you see caution highly flammable you see the no smoking sign okay and I'm assuming you know none of you here smoke but if you do you're not supposed to smoke in petrol stations why because it's highly flammable why because that oil there even without direct contact it can catch flame so it's very very dangerous right so that was the physical meaning. What's the spiritual meaning of yakadu zaytuha yudi'u? This was really beautiful when I studied it. Listen to this carefully, okay? When we, um, okay, let's go back, 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 back in time. Before Adam was created. Did you know that all of our ruhs were gathered in a gathering in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How many of you knew this? Okay, alhamdulillah, half of you don't know it, so we'll repeat. So there's this incident that happened way before Adam السلام, was born, and it's mentioned in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Alastu bi rabbikum. He asked us a question in a big gathering Am I not your master? And all of us, we admitted that, Bala shahidna. Indeed, Ya Allah, you, you are our master, and we bear witness. Don't you dare say on the day of judgment that I was uh, oblivious to this. We've all signed on a contract, literally, every single one of us. Our ruh has signed a contract with Allah that, Ya Allah, you are my master and I am your slave. It's a done deal, it's stamped. And so throughout this whole time, we are in the presence of who? Before we we're born. We're in the presence of Allah, our ruh is in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is there darkness or light? There's extreme, amazing light, right? In the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then we come down to earth, we come down to reality, to the darkness. But this ruh has tasted perfection for such a long time. Isn't Jannah perfect? Is Jannah perfect or imperfect? Jannah is perfect. So the ruh has been accustomed, it's been used to perfection. But all of a sudden when it came down to earth, it's in a place that's imperfect. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this gift of the ruh in our bodies. This pursuit to perfection is in every single one of us. This ruh is hungry to achieve more and more and more and more. It's never satisfied with just where it is. There is potential in this ruh. And we can, we can see this in, in uh, life examples, right? So for example, cars, compare, compare the cars today to the cars 50 years ago. Is there advancement in the car industry? Who is 
who gets credit for this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this is actually in our ruh. Steve Jobs, when he invented the iPhone, the credit goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving him that ruh. Because that ruh in Steve Jobs inspired him to make a better phone. Subhanallah. What inspires people to make taller and taller buildings? It's the ruh. It doesn't settle for minimal. It wants to make taller and taller, better and better, faster and faster. What inspires athletes to run faster and faster? What inspires athletes to become stronger and stronger? What inspires artists to make much more beautiful and more beautiful art? Compare movies now to movies like 50 years ago or 20 years ago. Big change, isn't it? Right? So everything is advancing and this is the nature of human beings. And by the way, this is not special to Muslims. This is also a thing that we share with non-Muslims. We all have that ruh. And that ruh wants to do more. And so in salah, we're actually fueling up five times a day, this ruh. Now when do you fuel up a car, what do you do with the car? Logically, after fueling up the car, what do you do with it? You drive it, right? Is there a point of fueling the car up and then just going and parking it somewhere? And then fueling it up again and then parking it? So what Allah here is teaching us is when you fuel up the ruh, it's time to get busy with producing something. It's time to get busy with achieving something in your life. Every single one of us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted us with something special that we can contribute to humanity. Something special that we can use to live a meaningful life. And when you realize what that special thing inside of you is, then you are going to be hungry for that next salah. Because you want to refuel. And that fuel will pump you up to go and achieve more and do better and, and strive to, do, to make this world a better place. You see how amazing this is? So every single one of you has unlimited potential. There's no limits to what you can achieve. Just a side note here is, you know, I, I teach a, a workshop called Meaningful Life. And part of it is helping people achieve their visions in life. And so inshallah, we're conducting um, a session in December, so watch out for that, please. Huh? And you have to attend that workshop if you want to start planning your lives to, to have visions and to have better time management and to achieve big things in your life, inshallah, okay? So, Noorun ala Noor. Now what's, so Allah's basically describing to us that there's two Noors that are meeting. In the physical world, what are the two Noors that are meeting? It's the fire and the oil, right? It's the fire and the oil that meet to light up the flame. Now also in the physical world, is it enough for us to have eyes to be able to see outdoors when it's, there, there's sun outside? What do we need? To be able to see outside, you need two things. You need the sun's light and you need your eyes sight. Right? A blind man, if he walks out in the sun, will he be able to see? No. Someone who has eyesight, if he walks out but there's no sun, will he be able to see? So there is an external light and an internal light that you need to be able to see things for reality. The external light is the sun in the physical world. The internal light is your eyes. Are you all with me? That's in the physical world. In the spiritual world, the internal light is our ruh, 
and the external light is the Quran. Because both came from the same source, both came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the only way the ruh will be alive is if we connect it with the Quran. That's when nurun ala nur happens. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it mandatory for us to read Quran in our salah, right? You all know this, right? No salah is accepted without Quran. At least we're supposed to be able to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. So Allah has designed this mechanism for us to spiritually revive ourselves in our salawas to, to experience this nurun ala nur. And you know, um, Abu Bakr Siddiq is a perfect example of this. His nur, his fitrah was ready to, to be ignited. So when the, the call of the Prophet came, did he accept after thinking about it for a long time or what? Immediately, right? His ruh was so hungry, so ready for it that the moment Quran came out, the spark happened and faith entered the heart of Abu Bakr Siddiq like no other person. But the reality or the sad reality that we live in today is number one, the light, of, light upon light is not happening. The light of the Quran is missing because we have deserted the Quran. We have other priorities in our lives. And the source of light, our ruh, the internal light is also dying because we have ignored it. You see the problem we're in today? And then we complain, you know what? We pray, but we don't feel anything. You know, we read Quran, but we feel sleepy after 10 minutes of reading Quran. Right or no? It's because this connection is not there. So, what do we need to do? We need to first of all work on focusing on, on the ruh. The internal light needs to be lit up. The iman needs to be lit up. And at the same time, we need to improve our relationship with the Quran. And that's why this series is so important for all of us, right? The objective of Quran for family is to reconnect ourselves with the Quran, to, re to appreciate the Quran more. To give that ruh, that fuel, once a month. This is actually supposed to happen once a week in Jumu'ah's prayers, right? But even Jumu'ah prayers, like, I don't know how much light enters the ruh. I don't know how exciting Jumu'ah khutbahs are nowadays. And most sisters don't even go to the khutbahs. How many, sis how many sisters go to Jumu'ah khutbahs? I don't blame you because, you know, most of you are non-Arab, so you probably don't even understand anything. So. But that's the tragedy, okay? So this is the reality of our condition. Our lamps are really messed up. There's a lot of polishing that needs to be done. The, the glass is not kawkab and durri. It's not a shining glass. There's a lot of dust. There's a lot of rust in it. And we're not paying attention to it. We've ignored it. We pay attention to our cars every day in the morning. We make sure, you know, the cleaner polishes the car and... You know, if there's one place where it's not cleaned, we, we shout at them. Hey! Right? Sisters are, are continuously caring about, mashallah, their nails. And one of the best businesses to get into nowadays is salons. Right? Um, teeth, all of us, inshallah, brush our teeth in the morning. And inshallah, all of us are wearing nice and clean clothes. But... So externally we are, mashallah, very clean. But what goes into our hearts? What kind of stuff we watch? What kind of stuff we say? 
what kind of things we hear. You know, the ulama of spirituality, they say that these are the gateways of shaitan. Shaitan enters your heart through these gateways, the eyes. When you watch shamelessness, and you watch a lot of Shah Rukh Khan movies and dancing and, you know, all this filth that's out there. I'm not saying all movies are bad, but there's 1% of movies that are fine. I watch those 1% of movies, by the way. Okay? So I'm not against all movies, but 99%, there's always going to be that shameless scene, even if it's five seconds. And sometimes they put it in the trailer also to attract people. And you know the item song in all these Hollywood, Bollywood movies, right? The item song is what sells, right? Entertainment, they call it. And now even in video games, I hear there's this game called Grand Theft Auto. If your kids have it, please break it tonight. There's a lot of shameless things that go on in that game. And yani, even cartoons, let's be honest, you know, these Barbie cartoons and you know, Ken and Barbie having a good time together, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse enjoying some time with each other, you know? Snow White spending time with seven dwarfs, strangers in her house, <laughs> right? What's that all about? Where's the mahrams and non-mahram thing? Jack and Jill went up the hill to do what? Okay. So, so we got to watch what we're seeing and we got to watch what our kids are seeing. SubhanAllah, there's parents who watch everything, mashallah. And for the kids, no, haram, 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 astaghfirullah. If you're watching this stuff, how do you expect your children not to watch it? If you're bringing the filthy magazine covers in your house, you're, how do you not expect your children to watch that stuff? SubhanAllah, you, you walk in the, in the grocery store in the magazine section, 98% of the covers are all filthy covers. You have to lower your gaze, you can't watch that stuff. Advertisements today, you have to lower your gaze on the streets and then risk getting into an accident, SubhanAllah. Right? So, and then there's arrogance. There's these diseases of the heart, the ego issue. The feeling that you're better than others. And then anger also. These are all, and, and these illegal relationships. By the way, out of curiosity, how many of you know a, a Muslim who has a girlfriend or a boyfriend outside of marriage? Please be honest. I want to see more hands, please. Okay, they're coming up, they're coming up, mashallah. So re this is a reality, okay? Whether we like it or not, this is a reality and it's happening. And by the way, when a girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, that relationship ends, what do we call it? Break up, literally, and it's a, it's a, there's heartbreak in it. So it's not like rusting the heart or making it dirty, it's breaking the heart in two pieces. Now imagine trying to fix that now. Major disaster, okay? Um, and so when your heart is filled with all this darkness, you know how like sometimes you're sleeping in the dark? It's in the morning, but the, the lights are all like blocked because of the curtains. And then someone opens the curtains all of a sudden. How do you react? Like, no, 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 close, it, close the curtains. What are you doing? What are you doing, right? There's, when you get used to so much darkness, even a small ounce of light will be disturbing for you. And that's the reality for a lot of Muslims today. For a lot of Muslims, they can't stand to hear Qur'an. You know, you're sitting in the car with them and you put the, radio, the, the Qur'an on, they're like, no, 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 change, 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 FM, FM, 96.5.
When you tell them, come, there's a Quran for family lecture. No, 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 man, I'm busy. I have to go watch a movie on the weekend. When you tell them, come, let's go pray the message. Inshallah, I'll pray at home. They're not interested. Why? Because they can't get used to that darkness. When you talk about death with them, when you talk about the day of judgment, they're like, please, Fahad, can you change the topic, man? It's so depressing, man. Please, let's talk about something more fun and exciting. Why are you spoiling the mood, man? Mood kyun kharab kar rahe Right? It's disturbing for some people. So, they got used to so much darkness. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with the month of Ramadan. One month training to polish the heart. Subhanallah. Literally, Ramadan is a month of polishing the heart. And in this month, we build what we call taqwa. Taqwa is your protection mechanism. Protecting yourself from anything that would rust your heart. That's what taqwa is. Okay? And um, by the time you reach the end of Ramadan, what happens to you? Compare your prayers on the first day of Ramadan to the 27th night of Ramadan. Which one is a better quality? 27th night. Compare your dua on the first day of Ramadan to the 27th night of Ramadan. Which one is a better dua? 27th night. Now you know why that happens? It's because throughout the whole month, without you even noticing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is purifying your hearts. He's actually polishing your hearts because He wants you to experience that nurun ala nur. That's why some people in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, they get so you know, addicted to this salah, they actually end up crying in their prayers. People are making dua and they're crying in their duas. People, you know, stay up all night to go and pray qiyam. They pray taraweeh and then they pray qiyam also. And they're looking forward to the next day and the next day and the next day. There's so much energy. Why? Because nurun ala nur happened. And when that happens, when you experience nurun ala nur, there is no other feeling like it. Trust me, brothers and sisters. That is the ultimate happiness. When you have that in your heart, you have everything. That is why the Sahaba used to spend most of their nights doing what? Was it Qiyamul Layl? It wasn't Qiyamul Layl, it was Nurun ala Nur. You know, sometimes we wonder, how did they do it? Staying up all night. Don't they get tired or their feet don't they get swollen? But because that Nurun ala Nur was so clear, the glasses of the Sahaba and the Prophets were so clear and clean that the moment they read Quran, there was direct Nurun ala Nur. So that's what's supposed to happen to us. Every time we read Quran, Nurun ala Nur is supposed to happen. Every time we read Salah, Nurun ala Nur is supposed to happen. Every time you raise your hands in Dua, Nurun ala Nur happens. And when Nurun ala Nur happens, sometimes tears come down. And, when the, and if you have ever experienced this, then congratulations, you have tasted nurun ala nur. And subhanAllah, the Arabic word for tears is also dur, from kawkabun durri. It's as if in the ayah, Allah has, has embedded this meaning of the clearer your glass is, the more likely tears of iman will flow down your cheeks. And if you haven't tasted this tear, then there's a lot of polishing to be done. 
When you have nurun ala nur, brothers and sisters, you start seeing the world differently. You'll see through the lens of the Quran. You'll see through the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you don't have nurun ala nur, if you don't have that iman, then you will see through the lens of shaitan. And you'll see through the darkness. You'll think that you're seeing, but you're actually blind. And by the way, remember, one of the significance of glass is that it's vulnerable, it's fragile, right? Similarly, our hearts are fragile. And so, you know, my teacher used to always tell me that, Fahad, take care of your heart just like a mother takes care of her newborn baby. For the mothers who've had babies, you know what I'm talking about, right? Does a mother of a newborn baby ever ignore the baby? Only for two hours, right, while, she, while it's sleeping. The rest of the time, it's either changing diapers, making them burp, you know, making them have a shower, or feeding them, right? There's so much care that goes into these babies. That's how much care we need to take care of the heart. That's how much we have to take care of the heart. If you're not taking care of your heart like that mother, then sorry to say, brothers and sisters, that polishing will not happen. It's not going to happen. There's just so much filth out there, it's not going to happen. Nurun ala nur. Now we'll do a nice demonstration for you of what this lantern looks like and how it works, inshallah. Okay, so, assistant, please. So, you know, I was very curious to know how this light lamp works, and I bothered my mother a lot trying to find this lamp. No need to close the lights all, yeah? So, alhamdulillah, I found this lamp. They're not very common uh, nowadays to find, but I found it. And I highly recommend all of you to buy one. And, uh, you know, put it somewhere where you can see it every day, because it will remind you of the state of your hearts, inshallah. So, this is what the lamp looks like. Okay? Don't worry, it's not a, it's not a Molotov, okay? Uh, assistant, you, you ran away, come please. I need the, the smoke to go down a bit. Before the smoking detectors go on. And we have to exit the place. Come, Karosko. Yeah, or, or, okay, okay. Say, say. Okay, alhamdulillah. So, um... The idea here is just to do a quick refresher, right? This is, there's supposed to be a niche in which this lamp is there. Iman is the light. And the glass is supposed to be very clean. The cleaner the glass, the brighter the light. Now one question is that in times of darkness, how do we deal with this light? Where, where will light come to us in times of darkness? Anyone answers that, please? Anyone can answer that? We are living in times of darkness. Where will this source of light come from? Within ourselves. Within ourselves. Okay. So we have an emergency, so we have to exit. <laughs> okay. Lights back on, please. <laughs> so to emphasize that point more, in times of darkness, brothers and sisters, you 
are the source of light. Your iman will be a source of light for others. And subhanAllah, another thing that I wanted to demonstrate, but couldn't, is that when is a lan the, the use of a lantern is when? During the day or during the night? So the whole purpose of lanterns is to use at night in times of darkness. The beauty of the lamp comes out in times of darkness. Just like the beauty of Iman, it's alright, inshallah. So just like the beauty of Iman will come out when? In times of darkness. So, you know, all of you agree that we're living in dark times? Hands up. We have the ability, inshallah, in this room and inshallah, extending further also, to be source of, sources of light for others in times of darkness. First of all, you are light for yourself. You need that light to light up your own life. And then you become a source of light for your family, in your homes. Then you extend to your neighborhood and then the community. And that's where your beauty is. Your beauty lies in, the, in that lamp, that internal lamp that you have. And then Allah says, يَهْدِ اللَّهُ لِنُورِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides to His light. This is an amazing conclusion, so pay attention. يَهْدِ اللَّهُ لِنُورِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides to His light whomever He wants. In some, and some tafsir, you find the meaning, Allah guides to His light whoever wants. So there's two meanings here. Allah guides to His light whoever Allah wants, and Allah guides to His light whoever amongst you wants. So the question is, do you want Allah's light? Do you want the guidance of Allah's light? If you want it, Allah promised in this ayah, He will give it to you. يَهْدِ اللَّهُ لِنُورِهِ مَنْ Allah will give it to you. But what's the condition? You have to want it. You have to what? You have to want it, okay? And, you know, a lot of ulama did a lot of uh, tadabbur on this lamb here. You know, see the lamb in li nurihi? Okay, yahdi lahu li nurihi. Allah guides to his light. The lamb here means all the way to his light. And subhanAllah, what that actually means is, on the day of judgment, we have all read uh, in the Quran that people will have nur on their faces, right? Their faces will be bright. Yes or no? Wujuhun yawma idhin nadira ila rabbiha nadira wa wujuhun yawma idhin basira. And in some other places of the Quran, Allah says, wujuhun yawma idhin musfira, bahikatun mustabshira, right? Bright faces, bright faces, lit up faces. The question is, where? Why are these faces lit up? Where will that source of light come from? The answer is, we will be in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's light. And therefore, just like in the worldly sense, when you are, like I'm standing here in front of these spotlights, right? My face is bright, isn't it? We've done this for the cameras. When we switch them off, what happens to my face? It becomes dark. In Yawm Al-Qiyamah, in Akhirah, in Jannah, your faces, inshallah, will be lit up because you will be in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's nur. Yahdi Allahu li nurihi man yasha. 
Allah will guide you all the way to His light on the Day of Judgment. <coughs> Subhanallah. And you know, on the Day of Judgment, in other places in the Quran, Allah describes people who will have a little bit of light that they will, they will barely walk with. Some people, their light will be so strong that it will go from, like the Hadith books say, from Yathrib to Sana'a, from Medina all the way to Yemen. That's how strong their light will be. So this light is actually a symbol of our Iman levels. This light is a symbol of our Iman levels. وَيَضْرِبُ اللَّهُ الْأَمْثَالَ لِلنَّاسِ وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ And Allah strikes these examples for us. Does Allah need to strike these examples for, for Himself? No. Allahu bikulli shay'in alim. Allahu bikulli shay'in alim. Allah has full knowledge of everything. He didn't need to describe all of this, but He dis- described all this internal heart uh, situation that's going on in our, with Iman and the glass and the lantern. For who? To make things clear for us. Just like the teacher in school, he, when something is complex, what do they do to, the, to make it easy? They give you an example, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives such examples in the Qur'an for us to understand these complex things in a, simil- in a very uh, easy manner. So that is the light, that's the ayah of light. But interestingly, right after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, very briefly, situations of darkness, the contrast now. So we saw situations of light, now we see the situation of darkness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fi buyutin. Inshallah, we have 20 minutes to go, so bear with me. I'll let you go one hour earlier. Is that good enough? Yes? One hour earlier, I promise. Okay? Seven o'clock, we're out of here. Fi buyutin Allahu an turfa. In houses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed to be elevated. And Allah's name is remembered in those houses. When? During the night and during the day. What is Allah talking about here? Remember the niche? What was inside the niche? Hearts were inside the niche, right? And then inside the heart was what? Iman. Now Allah's zooming out. Outside of our bodies. Now He's showing us what communities are like. Inside communities, in every community, what do we have? We have masjids. These are the houses of Allah. Fi buyutin adin Allah. These houses, masjids, are there in our societies, in our communities. They are the source of light for the community that's where we go that's the petrol pump for us the fueling stations to revive the iman in it Allah's name is remembered during the night and during the day and subhanAllah this also refers to people who worship Allah at night people who worship Allah at night you know Imam Razi has a beautiful saying he said the people of earth look up at the twinkling sky. And the people of the skies look down at the twinkling earth. 
Now, we all understand that, uh, the people of the earth, right? Looking up at the sky is basically us looking up at the stars. But what is Ahlus Sama? Who are these people of the skies? Looking down at the twinkling earth? What's, what's this talking about? It's actually talking about angels looking down to the houses that are lit up at night because of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To them, these houses are like the stars. Just like when you look up at the stars, you see some stars that are bright, some barely you can see, some, you know, different shades of stars. Similarly, the angels look down and see the lights in our houses. And they can see some stars that are bright, some stars that are medium, and some stars that can't be seen. There's no light. We're snoring at night. And Allah says, يُسَبِّحُ لَهُ فِيهَا بِالْغُدُوِّ وَالْآصَالِ We declare the perfection of Allah during the night and during the day. Now think about this. Which prayers of the day do we... Uh, is it darkness outside? Fajr, Maghrib, and Isha. And subhanAllah, in these prayers, when, when it's dark outside, we recite Qur'an out loud. Because we need more light in these times of the day. Subhanallah. Isn't that amazing? We, we need more recitation of the Quran out loud to get more light during times of darkness. And that's why we recite um, Quran out loud in these times. And then he says, رِجَالٌ لَا تُلْهِهِمْ تِجَارَةٌ وَلَا بَيْعٌ عَن ذِكْرِ These There are men who neither business, neither trade, nor business distracts them from the remembrance of Allah. These are the real men. Here Allah is hinting to the fact that um, you want to be a man, get, start earning some money, first of all. Okay? You claim to be a man, start earning some money, start being financially independent. Number two, Allah is saying, don't get distracted. This money is there not to distract you, but to get you closer to Allah. And so, um, if you want a thermometer for your iman, okay? How many of you want a thermometer to see how your iman's doing? Okay, I'll give you a gift today. <laughs> the thermometer of iman is basically asking yourself a simple question. Every Friday or Saturday, whatever, ask yourself how many times out of seven did I wake up for Fajr? If the answer is seven out of seven, then mashaAllah, you know, your iman is like super high, you know. If it's three out of seven, then uh, you need some polishing to do. If it's one out of seven, then there's a lot of darkness in your life. And for the brothers, you got to ask yourself, how many times in a week did I wake up for Fajr and pray in jama'ah in the masjid? Okay? No cheating, please. That's your thermometer. Okay? And that's a reality check for all of us. Really. Because nothing's going to make you wake up in the middle of the night except Iman. If Iman is there, you'll wake up. Iman is not there, you have other priorities. Your dreams are a bigger priority for you then. Okay? So Allah may reward them. This is an amazing ayah to give us hope. 
Allah will reward them with their best actions, their best deeds. And Allah will increase them in goodness. And Allah gives and provides to us without any, any counting. He doesn't count. No hisab, no accountability. So what this is talking about is, imagine like you're back in school, right? And you're doing exams. And so at the end of the term, you got a B in one exam, you got a C in another one, you got a D in another one, and unfortunately, you got an F in one. Allah is saying, Allah will look at your best grade and He will curve you. Remember the curve system? He'll actually curve you up all the way to your best grade. And then Allah says, min After He's curved you, He's going to give you even more from His unlimited favors. So He's going to cross out the bees and He's going to give you all A's. This is the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on us. Subhanallah. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Now the dark times. Okay? We're finishing inshallah. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Those who disbelieve. أَعْمَالُهُمْ Their deeds. كَسَرَابٍ بِقِيعَةٍ Their deeds are like a mirage. You know what a mirage is? Okay? It's basically the desert when you, feel, you think there's water but there's no water. Okay? يَحْسَبُهُ الظَّمْآنُ مَاءً A thirsty person thinks that it's water. Okay? Wishful thinking. Remember this term. Wishful thinking. Until he reaches that point where he thought there was water to quench his thirst, he found nothing there. There was nothing there. Who's, who's this talking about? So this is basically a picture of a mirage. Remember, it's during the day now. Okay? And this person is thirsty. He wants the water. And so his deeds resemble that water, that facade, that mirage. This person has done a lot of good deeds in his life. But during or on the day of judgment, will they be of any value? Allah says, they will be of no value. It will be just like that mirage. You thought that there was water there, but in reality there is nothing there. Who is this talking about? This is talking about someone who has darknesses in his life because of wrong intentions. He's done a lot of good deeds, but for the wrong reasons. You know, to get, gain the pleasure of people, to gain the fame for money, for power, whatever it is. The wrong intentions will lead to your deeds being worth nothing. And you know, there's this hadith where the Prophet ﷺ tells us, Listen to this really amazing hadith, okay? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will stop three people on the day of judgment. A scholar, a shaheed, and someone who used to give a lot of charity. Okay, three people. So he'll ask first of all the one who gave a lot of charity. Why did you give so much charity in your life? The person will say, because I wanted to do khidmah for your deen, I wanted to help, and I wanted to build a masjid, I wanted to help the poor and the orphans. Allah will tell him, you lie. You're lying. You did this so that people could say, MashaAllah, SubhanAllah, such a generous guy. You did this for the appreciation of people. And then Allah will tell the angels, Take him and enter him into the hellfire. 
And then Allah will bring forth the scholar and He will ask him, what, why did you become a scholar? Why did you teach people Quran? Why did you teach people the knowledge of this deen? And he will say so that I could benefit the ummah, I could share the Quran with them, I could connect them to your, you know, to the ruhs and to revive the ummah and the faith. And then Allah will tell him, kadabt. You did this, you, you, Allah will tell him, you lie. You did this so that people could say, MashaAllah, SubhanAllah, what a wonderful speaker. What, MashaAllah, a wonderful Shaykh. He has so much knowledge of the Quran. MashaAllah, JazaAllah Khair, you know. This is a scary ayah for me, standing here in front of you. And Allah will say to the angels, Take him and enter him into the fire because of the wrong intentions. And then Allah will bring forth the Shaheed, the one who was a so-called martyr, right? Shaheed in Islam, died in the battlefield. Allah will ask him, why did you become Shaheed? He'll say, so that I could fight for your cause and I could you know, make this Islam, uh, its name be elevated and to establish your deen on earth. Allah will say, Kadhabt, you lied. You became a Shaheed so that people could say how brave you are. Take him to the hellfire. And in this, in this example of the mirage, Allah is referring to the hypocrites. People who like to choose certain aspects of this deen and leave others. People who like to live in the comfort zone. They don't like the, the extreme demands of Allah. They like to live life on the bright side only. In times of tribulation, the tough times, they like to take the exit. And this also talks about people who are um, have a public face that's different than their private face. In public, mashallah, you know, there's a beard and there's a short lobe and mashallah praying in the masjid five times a day. But in his private life, he has weird addictions online. He has illicit relationships. He has ego issues. He has, you know, issues that of arrogance. You see how dangerous this is? These are darknesses of the, these type of people. And then the next example, and we end with this. Now, the previous example, was there light or darkness? No, there was light, guys. What's wrong? There was a desert and mirage, right? So it was daylight, broad daylight. Now Allah is taking us into darkness. He's saying, Or, like the example of darknesses, lulumat, darknesses. Look at the choice of the word. Allah, for, for light, Allah says nur. There's only one nur. The word anwar, which means multiple lights, is not mentioned in the Quran. There's only one light. But darkness, are there different shades of darkness? Yes, so Allah says lulumat. Multiple darknesses. Allah is describing a, a sea which is turbulent. There's waves and waves upon waves upon waves and there's clouds. Darkness upon darkness. This is the imagery being built here. Someone is stuck in a storm in the middle of the night. It's dark and there's waves and there's waves and waves of darknesses one upon the other. And Allah says, If he was to put out his hand, he wouldn't be able to see it. That how, that's how dark it is. This is talking about people who 
are surrounded by bad company. Their hearts are completely dark. No source of light for them. People who have completely lost their decency. They're so indulged in their shamelessness and in their you know, uh, loss of decency that they basically become like animals. They're just, they become slaves, not of Allah, slaves of their own desires. Slaves of their own temptations. Only interested in entertaining themselves. One movie after the other, one song after another, one TV series after another, one video game after another. That's all that matters to them. They have no purpose in life. This is the imagery drawn of someone who has no purpose in life. They're just living their, their life to eat, drink, sleep, and die. Or let me rephrase that. Eat, drink, entertain, sleep, and die. That's it. So in the first example, the guy was so thirsty, but he couldn't find water and he died. In this example, the guy is surrounded by water, but that water is a source of his death. In the first example, there was darkness, and the person was blind. Or sorry, in the first example, there was light, right? There was a desert, but he was blind spiritually. In this example, there's the darkness of the ocean, but there's spiritual death, spiritual blindness. But Allah said about the hand, If he was to take his hand out, he would barely see it. You see this word, yakad? Lam yakad yaraha? This is, this has hope in it. Why? Because yakadu means he would barely see it. That means, is there some light there? There's still some light there. Even for this disbeliever who is engrossed in his sins and his darknesses, there is still some hope of light. He can do tawbah and istighfar and then enter into the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends this beautiful surah, ayah number 64. Know this, that there's no doubt about it. To Allah belong the skies and the earth. Allah is saying here, everything belongs to Him. That means He's the owner, right? Al-Malik, Al-Malik, the authority. Were there a lot of laws here in the surah? Were there a lot of laws in the surah? Allah is saying, Allah is the authority. And you, you signed on that contract that you are my slave. Are you ready to apply those laws now? Are you ready to submit? Or are you still going to argue? Are you still going to say, you know, I need some more time to think. I need to think about it more. I'm not convinced yet. And then Allah says, قَدْ يَعْلَمُ مَا أَنْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ Allah knows exactly what you're up to. وَيَوْمَ يُرْجَعُونَ إِلَيْهِ فَيُنَبِّئُهُمْ بِمَا عَمِلُوا And when we all return to Him, Allah will tell us exactly what we were up to in this world. Our hands will speak on behalf of us on the Day of Judgment. Our tongues will speak on, on behalf of us on the Day of Judgment. Our eyes will speak on behalf of us on the Day of Judgment. Our feet will speak on behalf of us on the Day of Judgment. We won't be talking. وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ And Allah is full of knowledge. With that, we conclude this beautiful surah. Jazakumullah uh, khair for paying attention for such a long time. And uh, alhamdulillah, I finished right on time. Okay. Um, I leave the floor for any questions that anyone may have.
Who has the first question? We have mics, I believe. Yes? Or are you guys too tired to just, class, you want to go home? Any question? Okay, we'll do one question from sisters, one question from the brother, and we leave. How about that? Fair enough? Yalla. Brothers? Yes? Assalamu alaikum. Good question, brother, mashallah. So the brother is asking, how can we apply these laws in a society where these laws aren't being applied? Now, the idea is, instead of thinking about applying these laws in society, let's step back and ask ourselves, let me apply these laws in my life first. That's step one, okay? Start with ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Start with yourself. Protect yourself and your families from the hellfire. So don't think about changing the world and the community. Focus on yourself. Fix yourself, inshallah. Fix on your light, brother. Fix on your own light. And that, just like that lantern, remember in the demo? When I lit up that lantern in darkness, did everyone else benefit from that lantern or no? Yes. The nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bound to spread. Nur, its nature is that it spreads. So you don't have to worry about it spreading. Focus on your own light and if it's good quality light, if it's real iman, inshallah it will spread to your kids and your wife and your family and then eventually the neighborhood and the community inshallah. Question from the sisters and we go. The, the longer you delay, the more longer we stay. So don't torture us more please. Please, who's the brave one? Okay, I'll do a countdown to make it even more like intense. Five, four, three, two, one and a half. <laughs> no? Last chance. So, so no questions be either you got everything or you got nothing. Which one is it? Alhamdulillah. Okay, so inshallah with that we, we conclude. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa at astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.